Larry Smith was thinking big. He wanted to create an epically successful magazine and basically become a, a media mogul. But, as it so often goes as an entrepreneur, Larry sputtered out of the gate and the magazine was struggling to stay afloat. And so, he concocted this giant idea to save it all. And he assigned it to two interns who would leave and go on a cross-country trip to save the business. But just three days into their trip, they'd blown through their entire budget and started to blow through any credibility that Larry had at all as the two fought each other publicly on the company blog. And it was then that Larry thought he had no chance of making it big. But then Larry got this teeny tiny little idea to launch a teeny tiny little project that turned everything around. As creators like Larry, we want to go big, whether that's success in business or just the fulfillment that we feel. So we start today's show with an odd question. What if to get all that, you just had to do something really, really small? And uh, I, I know your reaction here. I get it. And, and you'd actually be right in this case because it's unthinkable. Welcome to Unthinkable. On the show, we tell stories about creators in business who follow their intuition away from conventional thinking and towards a more fulfilling career. As always, I'm your host, Jay Acunzo. Now, uh, two weeks ago, we proposed a hypothesis about what it takes to follow your intuition, uh, which basically centered on this idea of jumping the shark. So that episode explored this notion that we all reach a point where we have a question or a decision facing us. Do we do the cheap trick to gain some kind of quick result in our work? Or do we continue to let our desire to hone our craft, to do it the right way, our, our taste, I guess you could say, do we let that guide us instead of all the cheap gimmicky stuff out there? Because after all, someone like you, when you're craft driven, you want to do things that you love, you would do it for its own sake, and at the same time, something that others would love too. And that's kind of a hairy idea. So to make sense of it, we started by going outside our echo chamber to talk to one of the screenwriters of Ashton Kutcher's Netflix show. And then, and this part is going to make some people's heads spin, we heard from two veteran content marketers about how they totally ditched the most accepted practice in B2B content marketing today and saw massive results and not to mention lots of creative fulfillment. So if you missed any of that or our Slingshot episode last week, go back and take a listen because today's episode builds on this continual journey that we're all on together. Okay, so back to that question that we asked at the top of the show. Does creativity have to be something big? I mean, that's how all of us really explore this feeling that we have inside. Take the show as a good example. We have all these huge sweeping ideas that we try to poke at and tell stories around and it probably makes you feel a thing or two that, that hopefully is kind of big. So if we're constantly fighting for that huge existential something, we feel like our work, our projects, or the change that we push in our businesses has to be equally big. But is that true? I mean, why can't creativity be something small? Why do we always have to associate it with giant, enormous, I don't know, industry-leading projects? Why does it have to be that way? Do you think we're thinking about it all wrong? Seriously, I'm asking you. I don't have the answer just yet, but I saw a tweet the other day 
that started me down this path of questioning whether or not creativity has to be something that is, in fact, big. Here's the tweet, and and picture two people talking to each other. I'll try my best to put on some voices for, for each person. Here it goes. I challenge you to a duel. Very well. The weapon? Compliments. A capital choice. Thank you. I, oh, I see you've dueled before. (laughs) Hopefully that wasn't too much of a train wreck. I, I just, I loved the way that that tiny little tweet had such depth in it. There was so much to to parse. So obviously you can appreciate it on face value and just read it and take away that two people are going to duel and the weapon of choice is complementing each other. But then then you can start to get all this meaning. The, the more you let that simmer, the more you can kind of pull out a lot more things. It feels really big despite how small it is. So first of all, you can kind of picture the two people based on the words they use. Words like a capital choice, or even just dual and very well. You know, they're kind of like regal people, maybe top hats and monocles from a different era. And that's all given to you from two or three words that this writer included in the tweet. And then you have the the subtlety of the joke. I think, I don't know, there's like magic in there, right? So I loved it. And so did about 7,000 other people who either liked or retweeted that tweet at the time of this recording. And by the way, the handle that created this only had 3,000 followers total but 7,000 people reacted to this single tweet. So this Twitter handle is at a small fiction, and the creator is a guy named James Miller, and I wanted to reach out to him to see how do you do something that feels so big in a space that's so damn small. So a small fiction is um, contextless microfiction posted to Twitter and then in other areas, uh, self-contained stories or parts of stories that stand on their own and have to be confined to 140 characters or less. So small fiction started uh, a long time ago, back maybe 2009. Uh, I was working in a non-creative field. I was working in the insurance industry. And I found that the only way to sort of get through a day of that is having an outlet for the creative blurbs that would just sort of pop into my head throughout the day. He tried to do one every day. Just tossing ideas out there that aren't fully explored and also that I'm keeping to some sort of structure and keeping myself sort of on my feet, like not not letting myself rest on my laurels too much. Wait, what? I mean, think about the phrases he just used. Do they sound like something this small? Fully explored, structured, avoiding complacency. Are we really still talking about just a bunch of tweets here? The answer is yes, but then that led to another question I had, which is, is he maybe just overcompensating in a tiny project for a lack of creative fulfillment elsewhere in the other big stuff that he does? As it turns out, no, that's not how he thinks at all, but he is finding out just how meaningful something tiny can be. Because when you only have maybe 60 words to work with, every one of those is incredibly important. Over time, it started to take on more of a structure and a personality, and I found that I was even later on, uh, once I was working in the creative industry and, and working on creative projects throughout the day, there's still a lot of constraints on you. But James had developed this certain muscle memory as a creator. And this muscle allowed him to not only operate within constraints, but thrive. Teaches you a lot about 
conservation of ideas. It's very subtle changes that can really provide the most impact out of the entire thing. A lot of the work I do is is large scale, a lot of words. So I'll be putting something out there that has 20,000, 50,000 words. And there's that many words. There's a lot in there, right? There's a lot of meaning sort of implicit in that much content. And this is very small. The meaning is somehow because it's so, so small, it's much more clear. And refining whatever that thought of or feeling is to a point where someone else can understand and find the same thought or feeling that I had without having to read an entire article or a short story or a full length piece. I love that it's a very contained chunk of meaning. James and a Small Fiction show us how something small can provide us with meaning as creators. And by the way, that meaning is a manageable, enjoyable, contained chunk of meaning. And the best news is that typically, something contained like that is something that's in our control to execute, not to mention something we can more easily spread to others. So what happens when you try to start a movement, something big, by starting so small. Put simply, those constraints can be your strengths. And now that a small fiction has showed us that, now that we can allow for this new possibility as creators, it doesn't have to be so big, I think we're ready to hear the rest of the story about Larry Smith, the founder of Smith Magazine. Well, there's so much value in starting something as small and focused because clearly you simply can't start huge. I mean, if you're CNN or Disney, you can say, okay, we're putting $3 million and 400 people into a new project. But for most of us, creative uh, folks in the entrepreneurial space or simply with our own passion projects, it, it come down to, comes down to that old timeless advice. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And again, luckily for Larry, he knew what we just learned from James and he used something very small to turn around what started out being a big disaster. I was trying to start a online magazine where the content was created by the users and it was edited and curated by a small team of professional editors. Very good idea in the early 2000s. And in fact, I started it uh, in 2006. For three years, I chased the big money because I thought you had to start big. I came from magazines where we had fancy staff retreats and took town cars home after nine o'clock back to Brooklyn, right? So I thought, you know, you had to get the big money, the fancy designers, and uh, I couldn't get it. But in January 2006, Larry still launched his magazine. And at first, as a magazine based on user-generated content, they asked for the big stuff from readers. Uh, I called them story projects. Did you have a life-changing moment? Put it in this section, you know, right up to 2,000 words. Did you have a funny or a weird breakup story? We have an area called My Ex. Over there, up to 1,500 words. Did you have a brush with a celebrity? We have a section called Brushes with Fame, right up to 600 words. But Larry knew if he didn't focus he had no chance of building something big. And then one day, his two interns, Leah and Vanessa, came to him with what they thought was a big idea. And they said, look, we want to do a road trip where we, we want to do a road trip where we meet our online friends. Uh, and uh, we're going to, we'll video blog our way around the country and, and uh, we're going to call it the In Real Life Project. Larry thought, this feels really cool and really different. So yeah, let's totally try it. So he gave Leah and Vanessa a very small budget 
and they found a videographer to go and travel with them. And this tall, handsome boy who looked like a deer in the headlights when he met these two lovable nuts. Larry called up his buddy who worked for the TV network VH1, and he was like, hey, would this work for a potential show? And after the guy reviewed the idea, he was like, wow, this could be huge. Let us know how it goes, and maybe next year we can work on a reality show together. So, so I'm like, this is it. This is going to put Smith Mag really on the map. But then that fateful day came. Oh, yes, it did. On day three of their trip, Leah and Vanessa's car broke down. And to make matters worse, they were sick of each other already and using the company website to publicly fight each other. One wrote something on the blog about the other's poor attitude. And I believe something was blogged about the other one's mother. Needless to say, that project died pretty quickly. They'd taken this big swing, and it blew up in their face. And the In Real Life project was going to be the main story for the next few weeks. So now we had a big old honkin' hole. And that really led me to accidentally uh, discover the Six Word Memoir Project. Legend holds that Ernest Hemingway once bet a table full of writers that he could write a story in just six words. So they all put up 10 bucks each to see what he could do. And on the back of a napkin, Hemingway wrote these words. For sale. Baby shoes. Never worn. Damn, right? So much meaning there. Jeez. Larry thought, well, what if we tried something similar with our, with our readers? They could upload their own short stories. And he posted what he called the six-word memoir challenge to the website. And shortly after, he went home for Thanksgiving. And it was there that he told his family about this idea. And immediately, without you know, any introduction or explanation, my nephew, who was 10, wrote, oh, I have one for Grandpa. Memory loss. What was I thinking? And his Little brother uh, said, oh, my six-word memoir, Uncle Larry, is can't wear tie-dye every day, want to. And my niece, who was six, started doing a six-word review of the turkey. And I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. The next day, I went to my email, because back then for the six-word memoir challenge, uh, it just came to my inbox. Like, we just didn't know it was going to be a big deal. And I had 7,000 six-word memoirs in my inbox. And the project just snowballed. Thousands of people contributed. Millions were reading these little memoirs. Even a young pair of tech entrepreneurs who were up and coming reached out to Larry about brokering some kind of distribution partnership. The two entrepreneurs were named Biz Stone and Jack Dorsey. And their project was a little company by the name of Twitter. And so we were off to the races. So obviously we didn't end it at one month. We kept it going. And then that just led to everything with six word memoirs. And it absolutely changed my life. Everyone has a story about their life. We know that. At least one good story, probably more. You know, you have to remember to ask that story. So first of all, most people have never really been asked, tell your story. I want to hear it. I care. I might publish it in a book. I might put, feature it on a blog or, or uh, make it the tweet of the day. And that's a good question. But now that's still hard. Now if you give them a constraint, a creative constraint, like six words, now it, it, it mostly gets easier. It gets a little harder because, you know, you're in a six-word box, but people love a parameter. The constraint fuels creativity. Larry's dad used to tell him, pick one thing and go deep with it. I love that. My dad, my grandfather, they always say, if you're going to do something, do it right. So whether or not Larry intentionally took that kind of advice to heart or subconsciously it just kind of came out, I think that really jumps out about his project, right? He didn't try to move from six words to seven. He didn't try to have everybody upload all kinds of new user-generated content once that six-word memoir project took off. 
No, he constantly refined how to make that little project better and better. In other words, he gave himself severe constraints, he focused, and he started small. And simply because he was willing to start with that approach, Larry did something that we all want so badly, to build something big. All right, I just have one small request before we get to our weekly test that we're going to run together to pressure cook essentially everything we just learned. So so here's my request. What we're trying to build here with Unthinkable is basically a group of people that collectively move towards that mountain in the distance. We want to break from conventional thinking. We want to bet on our creative intuition. How in the heck can you actually make that successful, easy, repetitive, and so on? If you know one person who is not a part of this journey with us yet, send them the show. It's not so they can listen and then just implement, same for you, it's so they can ask questions. It's so they can critique and be skeptical and participate and bring their own intuition to the table to push us all forward. That's what we wanna make. We wanna make a thriving community, everybody marching in the same direction, not just things that I say because I have a microphone in front of me. If you know anybody who'd be excited about that idea, send them our show, and also send me ways that we could improve. All right, so I guess that's, that's two requests. But anyways, thank you so much for your support. Okay, here is our creative test. We just heard a couple of stories about how maybe we don't need to go huge to find creative fulfillment in our life. And maybe this unthinkable leap that we keep trying to make can be one step after another. So here's a thought. What if we all wrote our own six word memoirs? And more importantly than the writing is the reflection. Can we find some kind of sense of meaning about our lives by thinking about our entire history and then putting it into six words? I think you'll find that you actually start to believe in the message that you heard today. Or if you don't, let me know that too. Either way, when you write your six-word memoir, email it to me. I'm jay at unthinkable.fm. I'd love to see what you come up with. And and by the way, let me stick uh, my neck out there first. Here we go. My six-word memoir is making stuff to help other makers. I think that's my why, that's my driving factor. I love to make things, but I also love those things to have value to others who wanna make things. Alrighty, there it is. And to think, what we want is so big and so existential, and maybe, just maybe, we can achieve that by doing something small. Now that is unthinkable. Big shout out this week to our listener, Joe Hovde, who sent me a side project he's working on. It's whittleaway.co. It basically gives you a kit to go and whittle wood. Joe, congrats on taking your passion project and turning it into a bigger project and hopefully a business. Congrats again. Good luck. Keep it up. Keep it up.